message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. This morning we're going to talk about believable lies. Because perhaps one of the most challenging things as we walk in faith is believable lies. And I'm talking to the Christians. It's not that I'm ignoring the, the, the non-Christians here this morning, but if, you, if you're not a believer this morning, sometimes you're going, okay, I, I'm kind of maybe even in doubt of the, all of God's Word. I don't know that it's true. I don't know that it's false. I'm still kind of figuring out. But as a Christian, many of us, for, for years we say, okay, we believe that this is God's Word, that this is truth. And yet, would you not say that we're susceptible to believable lies? But Satan, I mean... Think about what Jesus said. He said he's the father of lies. That everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. That he is the king of deception. And when we begin to see that, folks, that is not just for people who don't believe in God. This isn't just something that Jesus said in his description, that only those people that don't have belief will fall for this. He said, no, even, I want you to understand that even Christians... Sometimes we come into the emotions of our life, to the dilemmas of our lives, and certainly the valleys of our lives. And we come to a place where we're going, you know, man, I know this is what the Word of God says, but this is how I feel. And then sometimes those feelings take over our thought process. So this morning we come to kind of the heart, I believe, of Psalm 23. We love the picture that is painted there in the very first three verses. We get this beautiful picture of a loving shepherd of a God who takes seriously that he's a shepherd to protect and provide, to be the physician of our very soul, that he takes care of us, and that he has a way for us to go. And we love the picture that we see there, and yet we come to a place now where the scenery changes a little bit. In the last couple of days, it's, it's been amazing. This time of year in, in uh, Georgia, you know, we always kid about if you want the weather to change, just wait a couple minutes. And, you know, truly, uh, if you came out Friday afternoon, even kind of late afternoon, it would have been just like now. I mean, it was sunshine. You know, Jeff and them are putting out the slip and slide. They're hot and sweaty because it's sunshine outside. And then in just a couple hours, you know, and what it seemed like just a couple minutes, you know, it came in and all of a sudden, you know, that sudden storm comes along. And I don't know if you, you know, have experienced that this past week where you're going, okay, they said it was going to rain. It's not going to rain. And it's bright sunshine. And then just five minutes later, this downpour, this deluge comes. And you're going, well, I guess they were right. Well, sometimes in our own life, in our own spiritual life, are you not amazed how it can be sunshiny one moment and in the matter of moments? a deluge can come. I don't know if it's my old age. I don't know if it's experience. I don't know if it's, you know, being in the ministry a long time and, and just being around people's lives. But one thing that I have learned over these years of ministry and in a life in general and in our own lives is how fast the weather can change in your life. How truly it can be just this pleasant day. Everything's going right. God is blessing and he's just using you in the kingdom and maybe he's blessing your family and everything's right. And in just a moment, a storm of life comes in that truly is life-changing. I'm always amazed. It's one thing if, you know, like we have these, this weather equipment nowadays that a lot of the fronts that come in, uh, like a hurricane or something like that, you know three or four days before. 
I mean, it's one of those things. Uh, when we were in Fort Worth in seminary, we would get the weather there about three days before it would come to Georgia. And you could just track it across there. And even to this day, there's a lot of times that they're going to say, okay, in three days, it's going to be this. And you can follow it from Texas over to Louisiana to Mississippi, Alabama, and then we get those weather reports. Well, now in Birmingham, and we know that in three, four, five, six, seven hours, this is the front that is coming. And sometimes life is like that with the storms that come to our life. We just see them developing. Maybe the finances really get tight. Maybe there's a struggle in the relationship of marriage. And it's not one of those things that came overnight. You just start seeing it bubbling and it bubbles a little bit more and bubbles a little bit more. And you can just kind of see it coming. And and fear starts to come into your heart and your mind. But there are other times, and I would think that most of us, if not every one of us here this morning, could say, yeah, my life was great. It was sunshine. And without a moment's notice, Bobby, a deluge came. A storm came to my life that was so challenging. This is the beauty of what we find in verse 4 this morning. So many of us kind of expect God just to be full of blessing. In fact, I've talked to many people that said, you know, when I became a Christian, I thought all my troubles were over, and they're kind of surprised that their troubles sometimes are still there. I said, well, you know, we never find a place in the Bible where it says that because you become a Christian that your daily troubles are going to be gone. What we find is that our real trouble, our sin problem that separates us from a holy God, that that's gone. That when we put our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that has been secured forevermore. But as far as just that it's not going to rain on people anymore and that we're not going to have storms in our life, it's just not there. And sometimes that comes as a total surprise to new Christians. I can imagine that many of you, because you have walked with Christ for many years, you have found out that that's a fallacy. That just because you love Jesus doesn't mean that storms don't come to your life. And I don't know that reality had to kind of smack you upside the head one day if it was one of those things you gradually learned or if it was one of those things you learned in the crucibles of life. That truly, as a young Christian, you just thought, man, my life is so full of joy now. Now Christ is my heart. Eternal security because of what Christ has done for me. And you just are overwhelmed. And then that first storm of your young Christian life came. I don't know if you were surprised. I don't know if you were discouraged. I just know that that reality disturbs a lot of young Christians. And I'm not so sure that we get over it as we become, if you want to say, more mature Christians, older Christians, and we're walking in our faith, that when those storms come, especially the sudden ones, that it doesn't just kind of knock us off of our game for a little bit. Psalms 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. An amazing change from verses 1 through 3 to verse 4. Well, we said that this is probably some of the most poetic writing in all the Bible. We've talked about the, the picture that it paints in your mind. And up to this place, if you were painting that picture in your mind, I think that you would probably go to the palette that has a lot of green and a lot of blue. The green pastures, the blue still waters. And you're using, you know, we saw this picture a couple weeks ago, and that if you were painting this picture in your mind, you're using a lot of colors that are kind of vibrant. Maybe some yellows and bright, you know, 
the colors that represent the sunshine and to give contrast to all that God is blessing in your life. And then we come to verse 4, guys, and it's almost like every one of those colors in that palette is put to the side and we have nothing but black and white and grays. And then all of a sudden, it's the same psalm. It's not like he just wrote this one place and then he decided to write a whole other psalm. That we get to verse 4 and it's like he threw away the blues and the greens and the writer who is King David all of a sudden is painting with an entirely different palette. Seems like each one of these paintings, there's contrast and there's such difference. But, but I would argue this morning that there's one thing that is consistent in the first picture and in the second picture. Anybody want to take a guess at what David would say? Now, here's the consistency. that Yeah, I used a lot of blues and I used a lot of greens as I painted out the first three verses. And now I get to this fourth verse and it's a lot of grays and blacks and dark colors. But what is the one consistent thing that you see in verse 4 that was consistent with verse 1 through 3? Yeah, the shepherd. Yeah, that, that God was there. And that's who the shepherd is. Exactly. David wants us to know that, okay, yeah, the palette changed. <laughs> the, what you're experiencing in life has changed. But he said, I want you to understand that one thing. Maybe it doesn't seem like it's blue waters and it's green grass anymore. And maybe the pasture doesn't seem as fitting and as soft as it did. Because now you're traveling through a really bad place. And it's blacks and grays and dark colors. I want you to know one thing, that there is one consistency between verse 1 through 3 and verse 4, and that is the shepherd. And yet one of the believable lies, Christian, one of the believable lies that Satan would love for you to buy into is that somehow that when the seasons of your life change, when the the, the elements of your life, the, the, the storms of life come, that somehow God has changed. Let's be real honest for a second. Have you ever for the moment thought that when the storm comes? Not, not believed it, not wholeheartedly abandoned your faith, not, well, I just don't love God anymore, I'm not going to be. Have, have you ever for a moment bought that because it is such a believable lie that somehow God must be mad at you? That somehow God is, you know, you think of the sin from four years ago and you're going, okay, I knew there was going to be a payday someday. And now it's gone. And I want you to know this morning. I'm not saying that sometimes we don't have to, you know, that some of our past sins do come to light in the future. I'm not saying that there's not a connection there. The Bible certainly said that we will reap what we sow. And, you know, there's a connection that God makes. But, but folks, this is not the heart of God, that God sits there and just waits and goes, okay, he's not expecting anymore. He has forgotten that sin. Oh, let me take the rug of his life and just pull it out from underneath him. This is not the heart of the God of the Bible. This is not the God of our own making. This is not the God that we would think that somehow is vindictive because we can be vindictive. The God that Satan would love for us to believe in at that moment of time is a God who's ready to be vindictive, that's ready to pay you for what you deserve in your sin or your rebellion. He would love for you to buy into this thought that the storm of life that's in your life at this moment is because God is no longer a worthy shepherd. And it's one of those thoughts that, guys, because it is a believable lie, and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a moment, 
that even Christians who have walked with Christ for years and years and years, been in the Word, they've studied, they've memorized Scripture, they maybe memorized Isaiah 43 too, as I pass through the waters, He will always be with me. And maybe you put that in your heart years and years ago, and you can quote that verse, and yet in that moment when that storm of life comes, and the dark clouds come, and the thunder is all around you, there is that momentary time that even the strongest of Christians sometimes start to believe the lie of Satan. See, here's the thing about a believable lie. Satan loves to take truth and fact and build some truths and fact up and then at the very end kind of put on a, a lie. In other words, what makes it believable is that it's not just absurd. It's kind of actually built upon some things that you could actually say. For example, verses 1 through 3, is it fact that the colors between, uh, if we were painting this picture between verses 1 through 3 to verse 4, is it a fact that the colors change? That we go from green grass and still waters to the, the valley of the shadow of death? That's fact. God's not running from that fact that situations in this psalm change and in your life change. Is it a fact that in this valley there is a threat of death? Death of a relationship? Death of a job or your income? A death of a marriage? Death of a physical death? A, you know, maybe even a spiritual death of, of something you start to... Is there a threat of that? That's fact. There are times in our lives that really bad things happen to really good people. It's one of the greatest dilemmas of Christianity that people really struggle with. And so you take those two facts, those two truths, that we go sometimes from really blessed lives to lives that are greatly challenged by the storms of life, and then Satan kind of says, okay, here's what I'm going to tag on to the end, that because the palettes of your life did change, because there is now really a scary time in your life, your God changed. And that's where we need to have the security of God's word that comes back. And when you say, no, he's a God who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. My situation changed. It went from really good to really bad. There's a lot of things that changed. But the one thing that didn't change is my God didn't change. And my shepherd didn't all of a sudden abandon his call. But that's the part that Satan would love for us to, to buy, buy into. And because our emotions are on end, because the... I mean, guys, let's just face it. When you're having financial problems, it's amazing how it's really hard to have peace. Would, would you agree with that? That when there's financial stress, just taking that one thing, we could take a lot of different things. We could take marital stress. We can take a lot of different things. But we could take physical stress that when you have sickness and ailment in your life. But would you agree that when there's financial stress in your life, it, it's, just, it's hard to sit there and just be the happy, jolly person. And would you agree with me that it kind of stays on your heart and your mind almost 24-7? That's where Satan loves to try to play in there. Fact, fact. I mean, when you don't have enough money to pay some of the bills, that they don't have, is that fact or not? I mean, if, if you're in that condition. So, so Satan will remind you that, man, you don't have enough money for the end of the month. He'll remind you of fact. That's not a lie. Truth is, you look at your checking account and you're going, that is a fact. 
And all of a sudden there's other things. And it doesn't it always seem that when there's some financial stress, then some of those unknown bills come up just out of the blue. And all of a sudden it's they're thinking, man, I didn't think the car was going to need brakes. I take it in, and he says, I need all four brakes. And he said, he could do it for a cheap price of $800. And you're going, I don't have $8, much less $800. Could that be fact? And so here's the lie. Fact, fact, lie. Your God is not a good shepherd. And he's somehow unable to take you through this storm of life. Change the scenario. Change the storm. Change whatever it is. That's how Satan loves to work. Fact, fact, lie. And that's what makes it a believable lie. And just because the very Spirit of God, God's own Spirit, the Holy Spirit resides in you, without discernment, without the truth of God's Word, without this counteraction of God working in our lives, it will not only be a believable lie, but we will believe it. And then we start to act upon it. So let's look at this. Three truths. How do you counteract lies? You present truth. Let me give you three truths from this verse this morning that hopefully will kind of counteract this somewhat believable lie from Satan that somehow God has changed, that somehow he doesn't care, that somehow he's falling down in his job of being this good shepherd like he was in verses 1 through 3. Fact number one, all of us, even people that love Jesus and Jesus loves you, will go through valleys. It's a biblical fact. All of us will go through, whether it's yesterday, today, or tomorrow, all of us will experience some valleys in life. And sometimes we do create our own valleys. And there's times that we make wrong decisions. And then we truly do kind of reap what we sow. And I don't say that because God is vindictive. God is working a a truth there so that he can encourage us and mature us in a way that maybe in the future we can say, you know, every time I do, it's like the old joke, you know, man, doctor, every time I do this, it hurts my head. And the doctor says, stop doing it. And guys, not trying to be silly, but there's times certainly that God that we're doing this in our lives spiritually. We're doing this in our lives and just rebelling against one, what God has told us to do. And God just wants to say, stop doing it. So there's a truth there. But again, sometimes these storms are going to come, and it's not because we are sitting there beating our head in something that we have caused. It is just that we live in a fallen world. This is not the world that God created in that sense. God created things in perfection. And in the rebellion of Adam and Eve and the rebellion of man and the inherited sin that we have, we live now in this broken down world. And bad things do happen to even good people. People that love Jesus and Jesus loves them. Fact is, all of us will go through valleys in our lifetime. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, it rains on the just and on the I mean, could you make it any more clear? This is coming from the words of our Savior. I mean, this is in his ministry, and you can tell that if he was just doing the political thing, he just wanted more followers. He can say, no, I can promise you blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And yet he gets up there, this critical stage of his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, this place where 
hundreds if not thousands have gathered and he preaches a very hard sermon and it's a sermon that divides, that draws a line in the sand. And part of that sermon is it rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. The sun shines on the just and it shines on the unjust. I can imagine there's a lot of people there that they were going, okay, wait, we were ready to sign up if it just rains on the unjust and the sun shines on the just. That's what we're looking for. And yet at this critical time, the Sermon on the Mount, he draws a line and he said, I just want to give you a truth to counter out the Satan's lies. I want to give you truth. And the truth is it rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. Peter goes on. And Peter had experienced this. I, I promise you many, many times. Peter goes on in his writings. Later in the maturity, he's now received the very Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in Peter. And in this inspired writing in First Peter, here's what he says. First Peter 4, verse 12. What's the first word? Beloved. Is he talking to Christians or non-Christians? The body of Christ or those that are outside the body of Christ? Now, if you're outside the body of Christ, we are not saying this to offend you, but, but we have to put this in context. And, and because it is kind of a hard saying, it's truth. We want to make sure that we understand who Peter is addressing. And he says, beloved. He doesn't just say Christian. He says, beloved, because there's an endearment there. He's talking endearingly to these people, to the people of the church. He says, beloved, do not be surprised. At what kind of trial? Well, Peter, can you just can you say maybe like a little bit lighter? I don't know that I want a fiery trial. I'm a Christian. Aren't I kind of saved from really big, bad things? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? To test you. What he's saying is, now in a test, in a real test, is there a possibility of passing and a possibility of failing? Remember school? <laughs> and there's really was, you know, hey, if I don't pass this, remembers the driver's test, and remember? Anybody failed their first driver's test? I hit the last cone, the very last cone. You can come back tomorrow, sir. And I had already had my dates, you know, lined up for that night. I had everything, you know, I was just so disappointed. And I found out real fast, man, you can pass and you can fail. They're serious about this. You just don't walk in there and they go, oh, you look like you're an honorable citizen. Here's your driver's license. They were really serious. They wanted me to have command of this car. Every real tra- task has a possibility of passing or failure. And I believe what, what he is saying here is he looks, when these tests of life, when these fiery trials come, there's a part that, guys, if we don't put our trust in the right place, there really can be at least a temporary failure. These aren't just kind of made-up things. And then that last part. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. When you read that, do you think that there's a, a, a sense of, I can kind of expect this or that I really shouldn't expect this. I mean, when he adds that last part on there, that don't think that something strange is happening, he's saying this is going to be as common as it would be uncommon. Now, we all encourage the Christians. Man, I feel like I'm ready to go out now. Now, that word of God, that's good stuff right there. I can expect all kinds of trials tomorrow. 
fiery trials that I can pass or I can fail. I love the Word of God because He's just honest with us, guys. I don't want a fairy tale if it's make-believe. If I live in a fallen world and there truly are trials that are going to come even to the people that love Jesus and Jesus loves them, I want to know that up front and I want God to acknowledge that, yeah, I'm just giving you truth. Because if I don't acknowledge truth, then here's what, I am vulnerable for a believable lie. And the minute I don't have truth in my life to ground me, then that believable lie, God's favor is not upon you. God has abandoned you. You trusted him as your shepherd, and, and he's gone to sleep. He doesn't know who you are anymore. Well, you're the one out of the 99 that went off. He's not going to leave the 99. He's going to stay with the 99. He's not going to leave the 99 and come after you. And that's a believable lie when the storms of life come and we're not grounded in the truth that, no, my God is the God with this reckless love that leaves the 99 and he comes after me. And he beats down things and barriers in the way, even if they were barriers that I put up by my own wrong choices, that he will come after me and he brings salvation to me and brings hope for a new day, even in the midst of a life or a series or a month of bad choices. Second truth. Valleys are dark. Amen? Valleys are dark. A lot of people think that maybe David, when he was writing this, because remember David was a shepherd, and there were times that uh, in the Bible, um, I don't know if they use this word, but in Israel what they're called is wadis. And it's where, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of a pathway between the crevices and the mountains. And, you know, you're not going to take all your sheep you know, up and through the mountains, that would be too difficult. And so they found those, those places, those flat places. But a lot of times those wadis were, you know, there's a mountain on this side, there's a mountain on this side, and the sun, maybe at 12 would bring sunshine there, but at 1 or at 11, it's, it's a shadow. Because unless it was directly over you. And so most of the day, if you're in this wadi, if you're in between these crevices, trying to get from point A to point B, you're in shadows. And what would happen in that day and time is a lot of those people that were thieves and corrupt people, they would know that people would be coming through there. Not so much just the shepherds, but they would take travelers and they would wait at the end and they would kind of come in there and they knew that it would be dark and that they could come under that coverance of darkness and they would steal their money, sometimes their life, maybe even from the shepherds, some of the sheep. You can imagine that... <laughs> Anybody afraid of bridges? You are. And you lived in Florida. How did you live in Florida and you were afraid of bridges? Yeah. <laughs> did you really hold your breath? And so, like, have you ever been down to, like, Key West where you had to go over those long... How did you hold your breath for, like, eight minutes? Okay. <laughs> so you, you know you've been... Through, you've traveled this before and you know that this bridge is coming. Did you start to anticipate, sweat a little bit, get nervous even before you got to the bridge? Because we know that, hey, this, this bridge is coming up, and I don't like bridges. The shepherds know, man, to get from this pasture to that pasture, the only way I can get there is going to go through this little crevice there, this wadi, and I've got to go that path. That is the right path. And I just need to, you know, I need to take care of my sheep. And the reality, guys, is that valleys are dark. Probably one of the most 
frustrating things in human life is when you're going through brokenness and hurt and somebody says, well, you shouldn't hurt that much. You should be over that hurt by now. That was six months ago. You're still upset? You know what that saying is? Your valley's not that dark. Here's what I've come to find out also of just living life. Nobody except for me knows how dark my valley is. And nobody but you knows how dark your valley is. And maybe you went through similar circumstances in your life, and you're going, you know, my two weeks, I was fine. Two months, I was fine. Two years, I was over that. And somebody else is still struggling in their valley because it's so dark. And you go, man, they're just immature. They need to grow up. They need to trust God more. And we put all kinds of judgment upon people sometimes because they didn't handle the valley that they're going through in the same way that we handled the valley that we went through. I'm telling you guys, everybody goes through different valleys. But here's the reality. Valleys are dark. And we really don't know how dark some valleys are. Some of the darkest battles in a Christian lives come in these valleys of darkness. And the battle is a spiritual one. It's between the flesh and the spirit. Your mind and your heart, your emotions that say one thing, your faith, your spirit, your soul that says another thing. And you're grasping to believe that God is going to get you through this. And yet you look at the bank account and you, you're, you're overdrawn. And yet there's three more bills waiting to be paid. Fact begins to color the whole rest of the picture. And those believable lies that somehow Satan has fed into your mind, that God is not taking care of you, that he's not a good shepherd, that he has abandoned you as a a sheep that went astray, we start to believe those. John Piper, uh, excellent writer, excellent preacher, uh, he wrote a book called When the Darkness Does Not Lift. Excellent book. If you ever went through, you've been challenged by some uh, uh, depression, Uh, discouragement, darkness, clouds in your life. Great, great book. It's not a real thick book. You can read it in a short time, and yet it's one of those books that you kind of want to meditate. And I'm not trying to put John Piper's works up there equivalent to the Scripture, but he bases on the Scripture. And and I love what he says here. I'm going to read it. I'm going to try to read it a little bit slow, guys, not because we're not smart people and, you know, that we can't comprehend, but I, I want you to kind of absorb this because I think it's excellent. Again, John Piper from the book, When the Darkness Does Not Lift. Our faith rises and falls. It has degrees. But our security does not rise and fall. It has no degrees. There are times when our faith is small as a mustard seed, barely visible. The darkest experience of the child of God is when his faith sinks out of his sight but not of God's sight, though. It is possible to be so overwhelmed with darkness that you do not know if you're a Christian, and yet you're still one. Have you ever been there before? Start to even doubt if you're a Christian or not? And I love this last part. There is a dark night of the soul. That night will come for almost every Christian. And when it comes, we must wait for the Lord, cry to him, and know that our own self-indictment rendered in darkness is not as sure as the God's word spoken in the light. Do you, hear, do you get that last sentence? Okay, when he talks about this self-indictment, this 
why that we kind of attach ourselves to, that God is mad, that he's upset, that he's abandoned us, that he's not a good shepherd. This lie that we speak in the darkness, he says, is not as sure as the truth that is spoken in the light. I love that. And that's our challenge. It's the challenge, Christians, church. That if Satan would put out these believable lies, that somehow we begin to believe things in darkness. But when we have the light of God's word, we have the truth of God's word, we, we begin to see that. But our emotions are funny things. And our emotions start this self-indictment or this self-thought you know, of, God just has abandoned me. And that leads us to the, the third truth that we see here. And that third truth this morning is that the shepherd remains the same. Always the same. He never changes. He is trustworthy. Why? Because he's always been trustworthy. He's just, that's who he is. It's not something that God tries to do. It's who God is. It's his very character. It's not a test that God has to pass to be trustworthy, to be unchangeable. It's who he is. By definition, look again at verse 4 as we close. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David's hope in this verse is not a change of location or situation, but it's the consistency of the shepherd. And when we get in the storms of life, what we want is, again, another pasture. We want a change of location. We want a change of the weather. Storm cloud go by and sunshine, you, you come back out. And yet, that's not what the psalmist is writing here. He says, you know, my, my, my hope is not so much in just to change a location. Who wouldn't want that? My hope is found as I have a shepherd, and his rod and his staff, they come from me. The rod was this little, um, uh, probably about this long. It was just kind of sometimes made out of leather, and it was just kind of this club. And uh, when, you know, whether it's wolves or coyotes or tigers or lions and bears would come, you know, that they would take this club. And, and David had experience. You know, David said, <laughs> as a shepherd, I had to actually take on some fierce animals to protect the sheep. And they would use the club for that. The staff is kind of that familiar looking, you know, that kind of long pole with a crook at the end. And what we're oftentimes reminded of when we see a shepherd. And that wasn't so much to beat off lions and stuff. What that was to do is to get wayward sheep and kind of put that crook would go around their, their neck and kind of bring them back into the fold. And then sometimes those wayward sheep would go off. And sheep are not real smart, and they would fall into little cracks and crevices and stuff. And, and actually, the, they would have to take that crook, and they would have to put it around the sheep and pull them out of these dangerous places. Why? Because they had abandoned. They had gotten frightened. They saw the dark valley, and they said, the shepherd must not know what he's doing. And so David says, by his experience of a, sheep, a shepherd, so man, I know what it's like for a sheep to look at the valley as we're approaching it. And he doesn't see the green pasture on the other side. The shepherd knows that it's there, but the sheep doesn't. And he becomes kind of thinking on his own, and he wants to go to the left or to the right. David says, I have a God who protects. And I have a God that when I've gone off to the side because I'm frightened... He comes and he puts that crook around me and he pulls me out of the gutter. He pulls me out of my waywardness and he brings me back. This is our God. This is our 
even in the darkest. I would never, I just said, let's not make light of the darkness of other people's lives. I don't know the darkness of your life. I don't know the burden that is there. I don't know the, what you're going through. I mean, even if we sometimes share of some of our, our, our dilemmas of life, I promise you that it's not on our mind 24-7 like it's on your mind. And so I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, you're not going through dark times. I just know that my God knows every circumstance of your life. Three truths. Valleys will come, even to Christians. Valleys are dark, and sometimes very, very dark. But the shepherd remains the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the thing, guys. This shepherd that loves you, that has promised that he will care for you, that he will guide you, that he will protect you, sent his own son, and he defeated darkness forever. Forever. Doesn't mean that we won't have dark valleys, but it means this overwhelming darkness, the separation between a holy God and the sinful people. He has defeated it once and for all. The Bible says that He has gone to the tree and He has paid the price for us, and He doesn't have to go back to the tree again. Darkness has been defeated. Doesn't mean that we won't have dark times. It's just this is not the situation in life. This is not the permanence of our lives. And yet, what a believable lie. Why? Because Satan says, hey, it's really dark, crap. You're going, it's kind of dark. And this is not fun. This isn't fun. And so after two real truths, he slips in that last one. You just can't rely on this shepherd. And that's where the truth of God's word brings us back this morning and says, yes, you can count on me. But we're going to sing that song again. And now, not that we didn't sing it well the first time. You, you did a good job on the first time. We're not singing it because y'all can do better. You know, <laughs> It's like Jeff when he comes out there, good morning. And the kids are, you know, they're groggy, especially on Thursday morning. Good morning. And now he says, now come on, you can do better. And, and by the third time, you know, they were, good morning. We've talked this morning. We've gone to, we've approached these believable lies with the gospel truth, with God's truth. And so now when we say, okay, I thought by now you would have already rescued me. But we can say, yeah, that's the truth. I, by now I thought this dilemma was going to be over. But God, you haven't changed. So let's stand together in prayerful. Uh, just lead us through that song again, Ricky. Uh, y'all just thank you so much for being willing to do that. I kind of didn't give you a choice, did I? Kind of in front of the whole crowd, I said, this is what we're going to do to end. We didn't take a vote. <laughs> Let me pray first, and then you just lead us right after that prayer. Father God, we come to you. Thank you that uh, in a world of believable lies, from the master liar, deceiver himself, that, Father, we can come to you today with truth. Not because we made up truth, but we have searched out your word and your spirit. Your very spirit, Father, affirms that in our mind and our heart. So, Father, I do not know the dark valleys that people are going through. Father, I would never say, oh, that's not really all that dark. For, Father, when we're in the midst of those storms, it's hard, as John Piper said, sometimes we even wonder if we're a Christian. 
And so, Father, this morning, we want the meditation of our heart and our mind. We want the the very beat of our heart to be that we will praise you even in the midst of the storm. Not because we like the storm, but we know that you are a sufficient shepherd. And you love your sheep. And you call them by name. And you leave the 99 and you come after the one. And that's why we can praise you in the storm, Father. We love you and we thank you. And we sing this song as a victorious song this morning, Father. And we sing to you the God that we worship. For we pray this in the hope that is Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.